I guess we should talk about Magic the Gathering, the esteemed trading card game. Yeah. And I guess I also should introduce us. We are the Hex Drinkers, a uh, longtime playgroup traveling the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. I'm Julian. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eric. Hello. Oak. Yo. And Chev. Yo. We are getting faster every time. One of these one of these days we'll be able to go bang, 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 bang. And uh, yeah, we're back. We're going to talk about EDH as usual. Who's surprised? No one. We're drinking beer. Who's surprised? No one. But uh, we're just doing kind of a, a more chill topic today. We're going to talk about cards that we like. We don't often talk about cards that we don't like, but this time we're really leaning into the fact that we just, we like these cards and we want the world to know it. And uh, most importantly, we want more people to play these cards because a lot of these cards do not really have the representation that we feel that they deserve. I would say that's the big disclaimer. Not only do we like these cards, but you should too. You should play them in your decks. I'm of the opinion that pretty much every card I'm going to bring up tonight should be played in almost every deck in that color. Oh, well, that's a that's a bold claim. But I mean, uh, you know, bold claims. classic internet personalities just insisting that everyone adopt their opinion, right? I mean, in this case, though, most cases they're wrong. In this case, they're right. Yep. Yeah. And will be or so for the next hour. After that, all bets are off. Speaking of being right, Chev, do you want to give just a slight, a slight light breakdown about what our sort of criteria was? And then why don't you, why don't you hit us off with the first card? Some of the, the criteria for the cards we were kind of going for is either ones that we, we really enjoy and kind of try to stick into decks maybe more often than they should. I don't think that's the case with a lot of these cards. Uh, cards that might be cheaper alternatives to existing sort of staples that might be worth the $2 investment as opposed to 15 you might have to pay. Think like a Gaia's Touch instead of an Exploration. Hidden Tech, cards that might be really good in certain archetypes and therefore don't get highlighted as frequently. And really just cards that slap, you know? We're here to tell you cards that are really good uh, for a variety of different ways and kind of just round table it until you come out with very, very good opinions about decks. That was our cards. Slapping. You in the face. Slapping. My picks have a, a very specific type of topic. And you know, if the United States Congress can come together for a bipartisan infrastructure bill, you can update the infrastructure of your decks. I'm here to talk to you about fundamentals that you might not be playing. We're talking ramp, rocks, and draw. So the first one is uh, Manascape Refractor. Three mana, enters the battlefield tap, but has activated abilities of all lands on the battlefield. So I think some people are looking at this thinking it's, you know, a comes in tapped mana lith. And that's just wrong, you know? You're running um, Bounce Lands, it now taps for two mana, and it's a Warren Power Stone that taps for colors. Your opponents are running high-powered things like Search for Azkanta, Wasteland, Corehaven. It has all of those abilities. Personally, I run it in uh, my Toshiro Mono Black deck to be a second copy of Cabal Stronghold and Cabal Coffers. It has also shown up in my Eldrazi deck as a second copy of Eldrazi Temple. You lose one turn with it, but there is so much potential upside, and it's $1.25. Like, for this kind of value on a rock, you don't see it that frequently, and it's just a copy of your best land. And the secret is, not enough people run land destruction. Like, it is literally just a second copy of your best land. and makes them have to target the rock before they get to the land, too. It's just, it's a really good card. Chev, I do want to point out two things. One, it's a copy of your best land and also all of your opponent's best lands as well. It is mm-hmm. it is all lands on the battlefield, not just your lands. And also, worst case scenario, everyone's playing basics. Three mana for a tap for one of any color is just kind of fine. That's on rate, pretty much. Yeah. Especially if you're not playing, like, a super tuned deck. Like, if you're playing sixes or even sevens, this is good. 
there are very few decks, unless you're really finely tuned and trying to hit that two mana for all of your rocks, that wouldn't want to run this card. And as you level up your commander game, there are more and more lands you control that do things other than tap for mana. That's one thing I was going to say about this, is that the cool thing about this card is that it automatically grows with the power level of your deck in your playgroup. At the mm -hmm. start, when you're running just a bunch of Karoos, it's a three mana rock that taps for two mana, and that's great. And then as you start to upgrade your mana base and your opponents start to upgrade their mana bases, it starts to do more things that interact with people's more powerful lands. And then when you finally get to the point where people are running like Gaia's Cradle, Cabal Stronghold, Cabal Coffers, then it's doing all of those crazy things. You know, Chev, I think you uh, kind of made a good point there about uh, people not really running land destruction in most casual pods. I would like to sort of jump off that idea and say one of my favorite uh, pet cards is Imprisoned in the Moon, which turns a uh, an opponent's creature, planeswalker, or another land into a colorless land that taps for a colorless. Uh, this might be a familiar tune to you if you are familiar with the card Song of the Dryads, but Imprisoned, you know, eh, Song of the Dryads isn't like a super expensive card, but uh, Imprisoned is only like four bucks, I think. And what you lose out on is basically Song of the Dryads being able to hit more types of permanence, essentially. But the reason I love these types of cards is for their ability to shut down commanders. And when I say shut down, I mean completely shut down. Like, this is mm -hmm. like pretty much after the commander tuck rule was changed. This is like the only way you're going to be able to get rid of someone's commander for an extended period of time. So like, when Eric's playing his Golos deck, you gotta <laughs> whip this card out. Because otherwise, Golos enters the battlefield, it gets a land. You kill it, Eric plays another land next turn, he plays Golos again. Golos gets another land. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so you gotta get rid of it with something like this. It becomes a land, meaning that it cannot be used to chump block or any such thing, the way cards like Dark Steel Mutation or like Lignify would uh, do. This card and like, again, Song of the Dryads or even like Oubliette um, are, are very like balanced removal spells, but they serve a very important function in uh, EDH specifically to, to lock down those troublesome commanders. And you know, it's kind of like a, hey, you got an enchantment removal? Like, check? You know, it's, it's, it's the enchantment removal check. And I say I think these cards are fair even being the guy that plays Mono Red, which, you know, doesn't have any enchantment removal uh, whatsoever. <laughs> so bringing it back, Oak, what you're saying is people should run more land destruction, so when you turn their commander into a land, they can blow it yes, up. Yes, they can blow up their own commander. Is that, is that what you're yes. saying? <laughs> like, you can wasteland your own commander, or like ghost quarter it. Then you get to ramp, or, you know, get a land too or something. Sorry your uh, your commander's dead. Here's... <laughs> What what is that card? It's reparations. It's like sorry we burned your village. Here's some gold. Oh sorry yeah, we, we killed your commander. Here's some the land. Waste. Yeah. As much as I would love to strip mine my own commander to get it back, <laughs> uh, there's an easier way. Let me, let me tell you right what now. What is that there, way? There's an easier way. Um, you could just play something like Sylvan Reclamation. You know, on, on my list I have some cards that I think are some sort of pet, some hidden tech. Uh, I got a card that just slaps. This is a just a simple. Removal spell, but people are just not playing this. It's I looked on EDH rec and it's in about forty five hundred decks, and it's basically just return to dust, um, which is in twenty eight thousand decks. So Sylvan Reclamation is a three white green for an instant exile up to two target artifacts or and or enchantments. So when Oak plays that Imprisoned on the Moon on my commander, I can hit that, 
and then also hit whatever the best thing is. Chev's Manscape Refractor. Oh, well, I could do that, but assuming assuming that you hit me with the imprison, I'm probably pissed off at you, so I'm going to blow one of your things up. I'm fine with that. You know, I'll, I'll allow it. And we claim Chev is the vengeful player. <laughs> oh, he is, but... Uh, I have my, home, I have my moments. <laughs> but, but anyway, I'm comparing it to Return to Dust. It's, it's one more mana. It's green instead of double white, but it always hits two things. You don't have to play it on your main phase, and it also has basic land cycling for two generics. So, like, if you are screwed or you just don't need this right now... You can just cycle it out for a land or whatever. It's just good, clean removal. Like, it hits two. It's a two for one. And people are not playing nearly enough enchantment removal. I, I, th- I think people have reached the the thing where they're like, yep, got to put Vandal Blast in. Or like, yep, got to, you know, play whatever. But I just feel like there are so many busted enchantments in the format. And so many enchantments that really make decks hum. And being able to get rid exile them is just so important. So, like, just just play this card. Like, yeah, you got to be in green-white, but, like, I know there's plenty of you Chu Lane players out there playing playing Bant and, you know, plenty of you crazy kids doing Abzan shenanigans, so just play the card. Play Sylvan Reclamation. What about you, Julian? What, do you have any decks that this would fit in? No, he only plays Esper. <laughs> I, I, I do not because I hate Celestia. <laughs> All right, now I just feel I have to speak up. That's just, <laughs> Please, that's just rude. In fact, uh, two of the three cards I brought tonight are in Celestia. And the third one's in red because I decided to uh, take a little trip back to my roots and say, you know what? What's what's good in Naya? What what are people disrespecting in Naya? Mm, and the Naya. first answer, everything, is unequivocally Runic Armasaur. Runic Armasaur is running about ten thousand decks. Absolutely outrageous that it is that few. To be honest, one and two green for a two five. Uh, that whenever an opponent activates an ability of an artifact, land, or creature, I believe. Uh, you may draw a card. That's is it? That's not a mana ability. I feel like I that is not that. a mana ability. Okay. that's true. Still good. Still very good. <laughs> Sorry, not artifacts. Just creatures or lands. Not a mana ability. You may draw a card. This card is so good for so many reasons. First one: if you're running a green deck and you don't have blue or black, this is probably one of the more powerful sources of draw on a creature you're gonna get. Uh, it is consistent. It is repeatable, and it triggers mm. off your opponents taking actions which can, in some ways, disrupt their game plan. If they need to fetch for a land, you get a card out of that. Or they don't fetch for that land and wait to try and remove your creature first or something. So no matter what, you're, the, this 3-mana 2-5 is sort of changing the path they take through the game, or they're just giving you free resources. I can't emphasize enough that it is a 2-5. This thing is thick beyond words. For 3-mana, this is going to block most of the things that are coming at you for the next, like, Probably two turns by itself. Yeah, those are some high high stats for a three mana creature. It's it's honestly just kind of disrespectful. Uh, it is also like less than four dollars, so it's really pretty affordable as like a first step up from like upgrading a precon. This is mm-hmm. this is just like a little bit more than that for four dollars. Like this is probably greens the closest greens has to like a Ristic Study type effect. And so and um that's a lot cheaper than Ristic Study. Yes it a is. A lot cheaper than Ristic Study, Phyrexian Arena, Esper Sentinel that we just got. All of like the monocolor draw engines. This one it comes in lower than all of them. It's it's kinda crazy really to think about just like how this compares to Phyrexian Arena in that it doesn't drain your life, it blocks creatures and it's probably going to trigger about as often. Probably more. Run Runic Armasaur in just about every green deck that you're willing to spend $4 on. 
Sounds like most of them. I want to jump back to uh, Julian's pick for a sec. The uh, Sylvan Reclamation. That whole cycle is really underplayed. I believe it's from Commander 2016. But that's also the cycle that Treacherous Terrain comes from. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of that card, holy shit, run it. Uh, also basic land cycling. But I, I think it's an obscene amount of mana. But when you play it, it deals damage to each opponent equal to the amount of non-basic lands they have. This ends games. I, I think, Oakley, you, you were saying a few times you had a buddy who would just basically stall out the game until he got his treacherous uh, terrain yeah. and then kill everyone. Yeah, he pretty much had the um, Kayantai precon with, like, no upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> treacherous terrain kills it. And, Chev, you said, said non-basic lands is just land. Oh, it's just yeah. land. That's <laughs> even worse. That's insane. <laughs> And it is six, a red, and a green. So it's eight mana, which is pretty expensive. Probably going to deal like the game is done. Ten plus damage. You're on turn twenty. The game yeah, is done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you've got any of the any of the red effects out there that are like, oh, just triple the damage of your instants and sorceries or whatever, or double that damage oh, or whatever. No. You can uh, yeah. things can get a little hot. Give your instants and sorceries a life link. Would you would you say that Ooh. things could get treacherous? Things could get treacherous. <laughs> <laughs> How good is Runic Armasaur for like a more competitive? lens because i'm assuming it's super good against creature based combo decks but how how far do you think it can push into the the competitive world oh i easily run it in uh, my fringe cdh carador deck because everyone is playing several fetch lands there are a bunch of creature based combos all of your sack outlets are activated abilities there's just a lot more that this triggers off of than you even think of so like I was running through this in my head earlier, and I was like, oh, okay, like, one of the combos I run up against a lot are, like, Kiki combos and, uh, like, Boonweaver Giant loops, which is the same thing uh, in some ways as Protean Hulk, where you just end up sacking creatures in a loop. Uh, Mike and Trike is a similar thing. Uh, you will draw so many cards and hopefully find your answer well before <laughs> they are done with killing you. If you're if you're looking at it, if, if this is that what your meta is looking like, or you just kind of take stock and you realize that there's way more triggers than you thought there would be play this card play the dino mm -hmm. yeah i would definitely like in your next game keep track of it and look around the table and be like damn <laughs> the, this card would have drawn me like 20 cards if it went unanswered and if it gets answered a it's probably already drawn you at least a card so it replaced itself and it was a three mana creature that ate a piece of removal that's not integral to your game plan uh, I do hate to go twice in a row, but at the same time, I don't. My second ah, card is very similar to Runic Armasaur, and it is Harsh Mentor. I feel like it does something different, though. It does something different, but it has almost the same first part of the text block. Harsh Mentor is one and a red for a 2-2 two -two that, uh, once again, triggers off of a bunch of your opponent's effects. I believe this one does include artifacts, so it's whenever an opponent activates an ability of an artifact, creature, or land on the battlefield, if it isn't a mana ability, Harsh Mentor deals two damage to that player. Much like Runic Armasaur just has so many more triggers than you would think, because this includes artifacts, so it's, it's Runic Armasaur, but it triggers more often, and instead of getting you resources, it just kills your opponents. You want to crack that fetch land? That'll be three life, please. <laughs> Just something else. Equip triggers are also activated abilities, right? Yep. <laughs> so every time someone puts a lightning greaves on their commander, it's going to hit him for two? Yep. <laughs> That's about how I feel when someone equips lightning greaves, so I, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> That's one of the crazy things about this card, is that it's two mana, and most people will be like, two life, it's whatever. I pay that whenever I shock a land. I don't care. And then all of a sudden, they're down like 15, like 
sorry, it's got to be multiple two. They're down like eight <laughs> life plus whatever they've been like shocking or fetching for. And it's notable. Your life total drops while this thing is on the field. And if you're trying to do any combo loop, this will kill you before you finish. It's just kind of crazy to me that this hate bear isn't seeing more play. How much does it cost? Uh Oh, like cents. Another pick I have here and I, it's more... So, you know, Eric runs five color. I'm not really counting that as playing black. Um, Oakley only runs mono red. Um, so I don't really classify yep, that as playing black. It. So it's really only Julian that I have a problem with. And he's not playing Siphon Mind enough. And I'm sure <laughs> a lot of you guys out there aren't running Siphon Mind enough. If For those of you unfamiliar with this gorgeous gem of a card, it's a black and three. For the number of opponents you have, they each discard a card. Then you draw a card for the number of cards discarded. So you're in a four-person pod... It's a four-mana draw three, on par with Harmonize, and that gets played, but it also deprives opponents of at least three resources. And yes, you know, there's the, oh no, like someone died, and then I'm drawing two cards for four. But if you're at that stage in the game, any card draw is good card draw, so you shouldn't be complaining. And this kind of fits into this, this theme that I went with for some of my picks here, which is, this is a fundamental card that it's not... It's not super cool. It doesn't do a lot of awesome things, but you will never be upset to draw a Siphon Mind. It gives you three cards. It knocks some resources out of your opponent's hands, and it's just a good piece of tech to have. I have some nice things to say about Siphon Mind, too, because I, I do run this card in my Mardu Spellslinger deck. Uh, because it's very, it's very See, Julian, good. even Oakley <laughs> runs this card. There is another common card with the same converted mana or with the same mana cost as this called ancient craving which is draw three cards lose three life and i gotta say having <laughs> your opponents each discard a card is just a way nicer deal it's than a losing three life. <laughs> <laughs> what do i want to do lose three life or discard three cards of yeah. opponents <laughs> as oakley called out this is a common card you can run this in your pauper deck it's in every pauper deck i've ever made because they somehow <laughs> all have had black in them. Trev, i do play this Impopper. If that, <laughs> I thought if you were about counts. to make me happy, and then you were. So, yeah. well, I can never please you. One of the things about this card, I guess, just because I play the political game the most, but like whenever anyone plays this against me, whether it's, I, I'm pretty sure all three of these these guys have played it against me at least once, if not several times. In the case of Chev, uh, every time they play it, like if someone plays like a Sphinx's Revelation for like even like three, I'm just like, mm, I got, I got to smack you now. But like Chev will just play Cipher Mind, and I'm just like. Yeah, I'll just discard this card. It's perfectly reasonable. It's fine. I'm happy for you. This is great. Like, it's one of those cards where it's just like it's giving you a huge advantage, but everyone's just like, yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. It's it's fine. This is great. I think a, a very um, unsung qualification of a lot of cards is the cool factor, and you know, it, it'll, cool factor. You know, it, it varies from group to group, but it. I think cool factor has a very big impact on how your opponents respond to cards. It's like, oh, that card's cool. So, mm. I don't care. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much as Julian was just describing. But cool within reason, yeah. right? Because, like, a lot of you guys play cool cards. I don't want them on the field, though. Yeah, Vernclex, uh is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. right. As an nope. example. But, no, that's a good point. So, okay. sort of jumping off of this point, I, I have a card that I think really fits into this sort of, you know, kind of spur-of-the-moment really cool card. Just for funsies? Um, Just for funsies, but it's also, I think, just a really good card. And that is uh, Bolt Bend, which I've talked about a few times on, I think, or, you know, mentioned in passing a few times in um, previous casts. It is an instant for three and a red um, that you can cast for just a red if you have a creature with uh, power four or greater. And it redirects any spell or ability with a single target. And w Sorry, when I say redirects, I mean 
you can change the target for it, uh, which is cool. I, I think effects like this are just, like, really sweet, and it's just, like, hype whenever uh, a spell like this gets played. Because it's just, like, you thought it was going to go down one way, and then it's just like, oh, shit! Like, um, but <laughs> the, um, the thing I really like about this is that it seems like a very like, red way of giving protection to, like, maybe that big creature that you're playing. So, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's really cool. Uh, and I, I know a lot of people don't know this. I think I've also probably mentioned this before. Um, you can use redirect spells and spell copy spells to counter counter spells um, because you can change the target of a counter spell to itself, which is awesome. And, you know, unless it's, like, an essence scatter or something. Cause then you yeah, can. yeah. That, that, <laughs> it's got to be valid To target. a legal target. Yes, right. <laughs> but you know the good counter spells that you know. Do we name a few of them? <laughs> counter spell, arcane yeah, denial, negate, <laughs> swan song. All the ones that say counter target spell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something that really has driven down the price of bolt bend is deflecting swat came out like the next year, and that instantly turned everyone's attention over. That's the one from C twenty that uh, is same effect, but it's free if you control a commander. So that one is the one that's now fifteen twenty dollars. And I think Bolt Bend was last around a quarter. It's awesome. And just, okay, the last thing I want to say around this card, the, the art reminds me of um, Lightning Redirection from uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. And uh, yeah, All right, hold on. Let me look this up sweet. now. I was going to say, Oak, if you did not, the art for this is sick, and I bet you that this looks extra sick in foil. I, and I bet you, honestly, I bet you the foil is 45 cents. All right, well... Oak bolt bent the topic away, but I want I want to bring it back to uh, the thread that Chev was on talking about drawing cards. Obviously, talking about talking about <laughs> card advantage in general. <laughs> yeah, I'm redirecting the redirect back. Um, and it would not be an episode of the Hex Drinkers podcast if Jules did not somehow cheat on his own rules. Uh, so I'm going to sort of talk about a cycle of cards, but really just just uh, two of them. Uh, and these are the siege enchantments from. Uh, Fate Reforged, so the set that we came in on. So I, a little bit of nostalgia factor, but Citadel Siege, Frontier Siege, Monastery Siege, Outpost Siege, and Palace Siege, these are all enchantments, and uh, when they enter the battlefield, you get to choose either the cons or the dragons. And depending on what you choose, there will be multiple abilities. These are all criminally underplayed, so go and play them. Uh, also see my argument earlier where I said people don't play enough enchantment removal until people start respecting enchantments. Might as well play all these busted ones. But I particularly want to talk about Monastery and Outpost Siege, which are the red and the blue ones respectively. Uh, Monastery costs two and a blue. Outpost costs three and a red. So these are cheap CMC-wise, and they are also cheap monetarily-wise. Uh, these are both going to cost you between $0.25 cents and a dollar. And the most expensive Siege is Palace Siege, the black one, which only costs two. So literally buy a bunch of these now so you're saying they're a good spec julian should i spec on the sieges yes you should you should spec on the reserve list and these cards so the reason i chose these was one they're sort of pet cards i love these cards but they're also not played enough and also i really think that these can be kind of interpreted as budget options for a lot of the cards that we were talking about earlier mm. like your phyrexian arenas um, like a sylvan library that sort of thing these cards that just give you continually draw extra cards um, on your turn. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily something like a Ristic study where all of a sudden you could draw like eight cards in a turn. Um, but those things that just kind of continually accrue advantage. So for Monastery Siege, the mode I'm looking at is the cons. And it says at the beginning of your draw step, draw an additional card, then discard a card. And for Outpost, uh, the cons is at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. Until the end of your turn, you may play that card. Now, 
I think a lot, a big thing, and I, I know I was like this when, when we first started, but I think a, a lot of players, especially newer players, they see, oh, I have to exile this card and like, I might not get to play it and then it's gone. Or like, I get to draw another card, but I have to discard a card. They don't like giving up those resources, but something that you kind of have to learn and experience in the game of magic is that the fact that you were just getting to see more cards, even if yes, you're losing a resource, it's, it's always beneficial just to get through your deck quicker, because even though you're losing a card, you're getting to the cards that you need in whatever situation you're in, or just your better cards in your deck sooner. And having more options is always better. So the fact that these are cheap monetarily, cheap CMC wise, and they're just showing you a bunch of cards is something that's uh, severely underrated. And like, if, if one of your good cards is making it to the graveyard, there's a reason you pick the other one, right? Like, so don't don't read the discard and assume, oh no, I have to lose a card. It's like, if you're actually putting a good card into the graveyard, that means you got an even better one. And if that was like two or three cards down when you're doing this eluding, that's even better because now you have access to it when you actually need it. For Outpost Siege, you exile the top card of your library. Great, now you just have another card in your hand. If that's the cards that you need right now, excellent. You got to draw another card that is specifically relevant and either going to win you the game or get you out of a hard situation. Otherwise, if it's not relevant or it doesn't further your game plan or whatever, that's fine. You're just not going to draw that next turn. So now you're getting even closer to something that you do need. And then same thing with Monastery Siege. And then also these just have like other sort of synergies like cards just care about you exiling cards or playing cards from exile. Chev, we were having this conversation earlier. There's that new uh, Strixhaven commander yeah, Prosper. Says whenever you play a card from exile. Our, oh, oh, that guy. Prosper's from uh, uh, the Forgotten Realms. But he's whenever you play a card from exile, get a treasure and red black. There's the um the Prismari uh, mm -hmm. flip. The Deans. Yep. Legend. The the red one says whenever you play a card from exile, I think he gets a plus one, plus one counter or something like that. But there, there are cards that care about this. There are cards that every time you draw a card, deal a damage to each opponent um psychosis crawler um and then also if you're drawing a card you're discarding your shieldred so that you can reanimate it instead of having to pay seven mana or whatever you know and then if for whatever reason you're already set on cards you can just choose the other modes on these they have a second mode that are it's admittedly much more niche um monastery siege being uh you get ward two essentially ward two right if they were printing it now it would be and then Outpost Siege is whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield, Outpost Siege deals a damage to target creature or player. So if you're doing any sort of infinite sacking combo, that that is a kill condition technically. So that's pretty great. Incredibly versatile cards. Play them more and do not sleep on this roundabout form of card advantage. Julian, now I think there's an important Siege card you left out of this cycle. What about Mirrodin Besieged? The card that was based on the this uh, cycle of cards uh, printed in Modern Horizons. That's a, that's a whole different that's a whole different beast. Also, I don't think that's a budget card, and that is more of a. Uh, it's not too bad, but it is a win the game card as opposed to incidental value card. That's true. Yeah, it, it's it's a win condition. Although it does the whatever the whatever the other uh, the first condition is whenever you cast an artifact, make a one one mer, which is sort of that incidental value. Yeah, that's pretty solid. But the second the second one is is like you were describing before at the beginning of your end step, draw a card, then discard a card, then something something extra win condition. So. Oh, I did not realize there was the extra uh, the extra draw. Yeah. Yeah, okay, that works. So yeah, that is... So it's just like reverse um, Monastery Siege, because I think it also costs two and a blue, and just instead of on your upkeep, it's during your, your end step. Yeah, and, and you can also win the game. Just as a little thing. Oh, 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 something, something. I'll keep you interested. That, that, is, uh, that just says, hey, if you're running an artifact deck, just play that over Monastery Siege. Good good call, Oak. I did not even think of Mirror to Besiege. Now, of course, Eric, if you don't want your uh, Mirrodin Besiege or your opponent's Mirrodin Besiege to uh, hit the battlefield, 
But, oh no, you're in Boros. What should you do? Oh, let me tell you, boy, do I have a solution. Can't bolt bend that you're one. You're in can Boros. You? <laughs> You've already used your red elemental blast and your uh, pyroblast. Maybe your lapse of certainty, too. That one has uh, sent it back to the top. They're recasting it. Yeah. So I, I do want to first, as a, as a quick little micro shout out, hit lapse of certainty. Uh, it's a counterspell in mono white. It puts the card on top of their deck, but it's still a counterspell and still sets back their game plan. Or. If you're about to win the game and you just you need to finish that turn, it's just like I, you don't you don't get to draw that card because you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> but the card that I'm talking about doesn't even put it on the top. Top's too good. It's gone. We're talking about mana tithe, mono white counterspell classic. No one expects the mana tithe. And legitimately, no one is ready. Like the Spanish Inquisition. The number of times <laughs> I have been like, all right, I'm gonna combo off. I'm gonna assume you don't have a mana tithe. The blue player is tapped out. We're good here, right? And if that person had just hit me with a mana tithe, I lose the game. Straight up. If you have exact mana on a combo and the blue player's tapped out, you can just go for it most of the time. Sure, the blue player might have one of their free counter spells because I blue. I, yeah. I hate blue. Um, but <laughs> no one expects this from the Naya player. No one expects this from the Boros player. Even in the world where people have red elemental blast, people have pyroblast, you still aren't thinking about that. And Mana Tithe is just sort of the more extreme example, where you could be in Selesnia, and now all of a sudden you have a pocket counterspell that is non-conditional. As long as your opponent just doesn't have that sneaky last mana, you're good. Game one, you're going to get a bunch of people with this. Game two, every turn you leave up one white mana, you've already manatized them mentally. Where they're like, <laughs> I can't do that, because if they have the Mana Tithe, I get blown out. It's just a it's a sleeper threat straight up. I think it's run in like a shameful 5000 decks. The, the disrespect to that card is unbelievable. No one wants to leave up mana and especially in your more casual pods, people are trying to ramp up and then go off as soon as possible. And like think about, you know, how many times you've cast your commander when you have exactly enough mana to do so. The only person I I know for a fact will never do this is Oakley, because he always has the most heinous commanders, and he's waiting until he has a Greaves on the field or a way to protect him. But most <laughs> of the time, you hit that mana, you're going to drop your, your, your guy. So having a, a way to counter that or stop people from that exact mana, or think of an X spell. How many people are going to leave that one mana open for their X spell or greedily draw another card, hit Torment of Hailfire for another one? It's just, it's really good to not sleep on those small effects assuming that people will always be prepared for them. One of my buddies used to run Mana Tithe in his uh, Naya Gisath deck, which is a very proactive deck, let me tell you what. <laughs> um, but this card, it, it is very much like, I'm so glad, Eric, you brought up the mental aspect of it, because it's just like, you know, he gets you once with the Mana Tithe, and it's just like, I don't want to get got like that again. <laughs> like, that's so embarrassing. I mean, if you get got by a white counterspell, you're like, what did I do with my life? Yeah. It's like when you're a little kid, and you accidentally, like, put your hand on the uh, on the stovetop, and you burn the shit out of it, and you're like, never again, nope. never again. Not going near that stuff. I will say, though, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm now waiting for the Hex Drinkers merch, the mental Mana Tithe shirt, because <laughs> I, I would buy that. Yeah. Legitimately, like, I think if I got Mana Tithe and someone was like, all right, you want to, like, play another one? If they ever have one white mana up, 
I'm not going to do shit. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to try and bait it. Like, I'll try and, like, have a treasure off to the side. Maybe tap a land to, like, 45 degrees to fuck with them. But, like, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just not going to play on tempo until I know where that mana tithe is. I can tell you one thing. If you are unfortunate to get mana tithe, there's a way that you can get that spell back. Oak, you want to you wanna tell us about that? All right. This is definitely my most played of um, <laughs> the spells I, I chose for this. Um, and, you know, I'd like to think to some degree that's because it was a very recently printed card. Probably the most recently printed of anything we chose here. I'm referring to Balaged Recovery, which is basically... I mean, I'll, I'll just lay it all out there. It's a regrowth. You pay one extra generic mana, and you can also play it tap as a land. That's it. It's just good. It is not only just good. I would say this is, a if you're running green and three or less colors in your deck, you know, around four starts to get shaky with, you know, like monocolored lands you can't fetch. But if you're running a green deck that's three or less colors... This is pretty much just a straight upgrade to your decks consistently, like, no matter what. If you like green, Eric, um, Hello, I'm here. you should I'm just listening. have, like, five copies of this card and, and just <laughs> slot it into every deck. Because, like, oh, are, are you like Eric and you're just worried you're running too many lands? Like, okay, take a forest out for it, you know? it's a, It comes in tap, sure, but it's like, you're not going to miss that land drop if, if you really need it. Uh, and I know Eric needs it sometimes. Hey, <laughs> hey, listen, I only need it sometimes... Most of the time, somehow, despite my best efforts, I need less lands. This is true. The number of times he gets flooded more than anyone else seems too many for the amount of lands played. And if you think you need less lands, or maybe you're like Julian <laughs> and you're running Tatiova with like 41 lands, you're just like, alright, I, I could take a forest out and put in this Balgad recovery, because in the late game, once Julian's cast his uh, Rude Awakening and... He, you know, didn't manage to kill Chev for some reason, because maybe Chev had, like, a glacial chasm out at the time. You could just get that card back, you know, your main wood condition for three mana. Balagad Recovery is currently, it's a common, and it is $4.50. So, if you want that card, which you probably are if you're playing green, uh, yeah, I would I would pick those up it's now. Is it because... I thought it was an uncommon. Oh, it might be uncommon. Anyway, it is not a rare or a mythic. But it is still four dollars and fifty cents, yeah. and you know that is not getting reprinted anytime soon. So I would pick those copies up if you want them, which you do. And something else too, uh, I will I will quickly tout this idea uh, in a un otherwise unrelated pod. What I've switched to recently with a lot of these dual sided cards is we've got more and more. Buy one copy, then buy the card, uh, buy the cards that came out with Zendikar and all those where you fill out the card yourself. So I keep all of my MDFCs and Transform cards in clear double sleeves and then in the decks themselves i use the ones that came with zendikar rising where you just write the name of the card into it and then you can read it and you play that version and then you only need one copy of these in any pool like even if you're worried about how your local game store worries about proxies and that kind of stuff this is a wizard's card and you can buy i bought like 20 of these cards fill in the blank cards for like a dollar on card kingdom in one of my orders and then just all of my MDFCs, I can slot into many decks without ever really needing to worry about it. That's cool. That, like, transcends the playgroup, you know, rule zero. It's you don't got to worry about it. And then you go back to those those original ones where it's like, it actually shows the name of the card and the mana cost. And you can just doodle in the little one, like the uh, Ixalan ones or the Eldritch Moon ones or all those. They're all perfect for this method. So buy your one copy of Balaged Recovery, 
stick it to the man and then just buy all of the uh, <laughs> fill in the blanks. All right, I take my suggestion back. Just do that. <laughs> I, I guarantee you can walk into the LGS and they will pay you to take those like yeah. random checklist cards off their hand. You're essentially just taking out their garbage for them. You are the garbage. You're the trash man. All right, who has cards left? I feel like Julian. I'm going. Speaking of trash, <laughs> here's Julian's card. <laughs> Speaking of straight garbage. Speak, speak of bulk rares. This is this is my slaps card. I love this. I've always loved this card, and I will forever love this card. It's Stormtide Leviathan. All right. It's a big old beefy blue creature. Big beefy blue. That triple B. A behemoth of the sea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is triple It is triple U, actually. It costs five UUU, so uh, a total of eight mana for a Leviathan 8-8. It's got Island Walk. And it says, all lands or islands in, in addition to their other types and creatures without flying or island walk cannot attack. This card is sick. I remember when I first, I, when I got my first copy of this card, I, uh, I forget where I saw it. What, what, probably on like randomly on Gatherer back when people use Gatherer. Um, but I went, I went into our LGS. Rest in peace is now since closed, Comic which Depot. is a horrible thing. Yeah, Comic Depot shout out. But I went in and I saw that they had Stormtide Leviathan. And uh, I went and talked to, uh, I think his name was Chris. He didn't really know much about magic cards. So I was like, hey, Chris, how much is this card? He went and looked, like typed in on his computer. And he was like, turned to me across the counter and like gave me like a dead ass stare and was just like 50. And then me, y young young man who didn't know anything, I was like, dollars? And he, he looked at me and then winked. It was just like, cents. <laughs> Got him. I was like, oh, shit, I'll take four. No. So yeah. Bulk rare, but um, it is a eight eight, so it's it's nothing to shake a stick at. Good old good old solid control finisher, totally shuts down the board. It it does everything I want, right? It it shuts down the board and makes sure that no one else can really do anything. You know, I'm not getting it as the control player. I'm not getting attacked right now, unless you are running like a stupid dragon tribal deck. I don't know who would do that. <laughs> Hello. I mean, no one runs island walking creatures anymore, so. So it shuts down the board, but then since it has Island Walk, it can still attack. So I can just start smacking people for eight like nobody's business. And then, you know, God forbid you're running other Island Walkers, which maybe you are in this deck. But, you know, if you're if you're trying to do like a Sea Monster Tribal, which was one of the first decks that I ever built, uh, this is a great card. Also, as I was writing these notes and stuff, and I was like, oh, man, Stormtown Leviathan was great. And I was like, well, now, now that I'm coming at this from a much more wizened slash jaded and, and degenerate place, I'm like, everything's an island. Hmm. If I was playing like choke or like boil, <laughs> hmm, I'm sure there's a way that I could, you know, I could really fuck shit. I mean, it would fuck all my lands too, but like I got an 8-8 and what do you guys have? I love that. I love that combo. You could also play, uh, I don't know, maybe like a high tide. <sighs> well, yep. There's me just being the asshole, and then Eric's got to come in and just be like, yeah, but what if you did CDH things instead? I mean, it's not necessarily CDH. It's just like, what if you doubled your mana instead of no one has mana? Nah, boil it. You do both. Float your doubled mana. Just boil it. Destroy all lands, and then just build a board state. Float all my mana, destroy all lands, and then Cyclonic Rift. <laughs> Hold on, like, let's talk about it. If you're playing in Simic, destroy all the lands, and then, what's the... It's it's just return all lands from your graveyard to the battlefield. Oh, um, Splendid Wreck. Splendid Recovery. Uh, yeah, welcome to hell for your opponents. Uh, you may not have won the game, but the game is over. Well, Chev, you have our last card, and it is also a blue card, so therefore it is excellent. Therefore it is trash. <laughs> you know, I thought about giving you that satisfaction of going directly to it, but I've had a second card in my mind that I'm going to bonus, just because it completely obliterated me on Saturday, and it's worth mentioning. 
I didn't realize how good Cursed Totem was. Oh, yeah. Cursed Totem is a very good card. And it was just reprinted in Modern Horizons 2. And you should probably pick up a copy while it's cheap. We were doing a 1v1 commander game while waiting for a um, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms draft to start. I was playing Osgur, one of my new favorites. Uh, my opponent was playing the Prismari Dragon. Totally awesome deck. Dropped a um, Cursed Totem about turn 4. And Osgur became as useful as a rock. Like, I mean, he's a 4-4 with Vigilance, but he can't do anything. What, is it, what does Cursed Totem do? Uh, creatures' activated abilities can't be activated. Oh. Well, that's not good. Sounds like I should get a Cursed Totem for our goalless player. But back to the original blue card that Julian was hinting at, and that's Dreamscape Artist. Now, this sweet, sweet little creature, Human Spell Shaper for two, it's a 1-1 one -one from uh, Planar Chaos, and it's three mana, tap it to discard a card, and then essentially harrow. You sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basics, put them on the battlefield, and shuffle your library. And for the ability to tutor up lands in mono blue, that is amazing and should not be understated. Especially amazing is its common, so you can play it in your pauper decks. I've seen it in plenty of Julian's decks as we've kind of played these last few weeks. But you should really consider running it in your EDH decks as well, because not only do you get that ramp in blue, you also get the benefits of discarding a card. Something that came up during our Time Spiral Remastered Draft, I was running a couple of these. You have cards with Madness that care about being discarded, so you can exploit that. You can do things like Julie mentioned about Red Card Draw earlier, where you put something of a high mana cost into your graveyard to reanimate it. Or, more recently, I've been playing with Ramirez de Pietro in, uh, or the Ghost of, in uh, Pauper, who cares about cards being put from your hand into the graveyard in a turn, and you get to bring them back. Do this, get an extra land, get that extra value. It's just a really good card. And, you know, even if it's not the super competitive card, it's worth a slot in most decks, especially if you're running into land problems in a color combo that doesn't have green. Amen. Love that card. Super good. Y'all remember when we were playing Popper and I just went off with that? I, I literally was like playing a blue-black deck and I'm pretty sure I had like 10 lands. Yeah, that was kept, insane. I just kept activating it. I saw that and was like, this is what I always wanted this creature to do because I always looked at him and was like, that effect shouldn't be in blue. It was the Encore guy, right? And you were just discarding like creatures to reanimate oh is it around me? yeah that that as well and then yeah i got i got to like 10 lands and then i think chev was finally just like wait a minute i'm gonna kill that and i was like <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough that's that's like i've already that's got legit. my 10 lands you know what hey. uh, it's you're doing me a favor i'm too hey tempted. wait a minute <laughs> oh man well i mean those are all great picks i'm definitely excited to try and slot at least some of those into my decks if not uh all of them depending on uh what I can cook up. Manatide me, daddy. Is Manatide the common? Can I play that in Popper? Yeah, yeah, you can. I think so, yeah. That's common. Um, Lapse of Certainty is common. Dawn Charm. All three pseudo counterspells in white are at common. So what you're saying is I should build a white-based control deck in Popper. You can do that. Please don't. <laughs> there aren't a lot of stacks pieces at common, but I, I would recommend trying it. I think it would be fun for the rest of us. Well, maybe I play Boros and I play all those counter spells, plus also just like are Reb and uh, Pyroblast. Yeah, they are. So is Lightning Bolt. People forget about that, but like it's just really good in Popper. Lightning Bolt's good removal. You heard it here first. Just run that in your red decks. All right, all right. We're clearly out of hot takes. <laughs> Lightning Bolt is good. Is uh, that's the temperature I like to keep my freezer at. <laughs>
<laughs> In other news, water is wet, <laughs> fire is hot. <laughs> all right. Oh, well, all right. Okay, um, I think okay, the important then. thing for the listeners to know is, you know, we this is a new format for us. We're trying to just tell you some of the cards you should be running more. If you like this kind of thing, you should most certainly let us know. Uh, there are infinite number of cards we can pull from to spice up your decks. And, of course, give us your picks and we can talk about them on the show. Uh, I'm sure Julian can tell you in about two seconds when he lists them all off where you can find us and where we will be listening. But in the meantime, you know, this was fun for us. We hope it's fun for you. Dang, Chev, I was really going to come back and be like, oh, well, Chev, since you're, you know, why don't you let them know where they can find us? But uh, since you got to... I'm going to make you do the work. I'm going to make you do that. Since apparently I'm the only one who does the heavy lifting around here. um, Yeah, if you want to talk to us about how our takes are right, wrong, or you just want to tell us your personal takes, you can hit us up on our uh, social media pages. That's uh, Twitter and Instagram at Hexdrinkers. You can send us an email if you feel really strongly and you're still doing email things at uh, Hexdrinkers at gmail.com. You will be considered highly if you send us emails. As a select few of you know. There's there's just something great about receiving an email. Like, you know, if someone kind of adds us on Twitter, I'm like, yeah, it's just not as good of a notification. There's also the thing that all of us have the email on our phones at this point. So an email comes in and it's just a race to see who can post it first in our, <laughs> our Slack of like, we got mail. It's essentially <laughs> Blue's Clues, but with grown adults. Anyway, if you want to see more of our hot takes or just things that we talk about, uh, you can go on our website hexdrinkers.com we have articles there we have uh videos there we also have this podcast there if you want to see our backlog speaking of this podcast spotify apple music or not apple music apple podcasts uh google podcasts i don't even know anymore um, i think we're on google if you're podcasts. looking for podcasts we're there <laughs> and if yeah, we're just, not go to one of those things we mentioned and let us know yeah there you go yeah a- anchor is anchor is the home base shout out to anchor if you like what we're doing, if you want to support what we're doing, if you want to help us keep doing what we're doing, uh, go on over to patreon.com slash hexdrinkers. You can support us for as little as $1 uh, an episode, and you will get things like the full unedited version of this podcast. We're currently at one minute or one hour, seven minutes, and 59 <laughs> seconds and counting. We're at a whole minute. We, we, we actually got recorded this high-tech content at right hyper there. speed. <laughs> this, we, we just talk so unbelievably fast. We have to slow it down so the human brain can comprehend. You know, Julian, it won't be in the uh, edited version, but I can't believe that smoking hot card that we're going to leave out specifically for our Patreon. Golly, I'm surprised I'm not running that in every deck I own. It's really a shame that these people who aren't supporting us on Patreon just, they won't get the super secret tech. It's, it's really unfortunate. I will say, though, since people are still listening, I'm just curious if you're listening to the podcast, do you listen to us on normal speed? Do you listen at 4x speed? I don't know. Do we not talk fast enough? Do we talk too I fast? I only listen to the 4X when Julian speaks. The rest of it, 1X. Yeah, I've actually created a sub, like, just like a program that just can tell when it's your voice, Julian, and it just, it makes the time fly by. That's fine, as long as you are listening to the podcast, because, uh, you know, we're generating that sweet, sweet ad revenue, you know, all that ad revenue that we have. We almost have enough for a beer at a Midwestern bar. Yeah, um, speaking of beer, I have more that I want to drink, and Chev, I'm sure that you're boiling in there so why don't we just uh, i am boiling we are cooked this is jules and for the hex drinkers uh that's that's eric okonchev we're <laughs> we're getting the hell out of here